Your day has just begun. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? Ready. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Hashtag NBA. All right. The Jazz didn't get the help they'd so desperately crave. I know Jazz fans would have loved to see the Portland Trail Blazers pull it out. But in a crazy game with a crazy finish, the Phoenix Suns escape with a win, 118-117. Now, it's a close game most of the way. Suns opened up a lead late third quarter, and then Damian Lillard took over. What a show. 24 of his 41 points. In the fourth quarter, he just we were just talking about him dropping 40 on you. If you just lose track of him for a second. And the thing is, he didn't shoot the three that well. And he didn't shoot it that often. He was two for six. He was driving to the hoop. He was cutting back door on guys to the hoop. And it was, it was old school. Two of six from three. Nothing extraordinary there. And seven of eight at the free throw line. And I, I don't want to sneeze at eight free throws, but it's not enormous. I mean, he's getting to the line. He's doing a good job there. This was all about the old-school two-pointer. He made 14 of them, 28 of his 41 points. So anyway, they come back. They get this 10-point lead. They actually take the lead. And then at the end of the game, we see a bunch of things that we don't usually see. Devin Booker getting the ball in the backcourt, racing up court, trying to win the game, trying to be the guy. And he wasn't having a very good game. He's like 5 for 17 shooting the game. And Carmelo Anthony. Carmelo Anthony makes the big defensive play. Steps up and trying to get around him, and, or Booker's trying to get around Carmelo in the backcourt, and he carries the ball. And the whole bench erupts, double dribbles, reps call it, and he's going nuts saying, Carmelo touched the ball. That was a deflection. I gathered deflection, and I started dribbling again. They reviewed it. He didn't get it. So that, And that's with like five and a half seconds left. So the Blazers inbound the ball, and Covington gets fouled, and misses both free throws when he could have put his team up three. So Devin, they run something for Devin Booker. He gets fouled. Norman Powell reaching in, trying to strip him, hits him on the elbow. Barely. I mean, it was the definition of a ticky-tack foul. You've seen a lot of fouls. You have seen a lot of fouls that were tougher than that foul. But, hey, a lot of you also say, letter of the law. A foul in the first quarter is a foul in the fourth quarter. So they called the foul. Booker hits the free throws, and they win the game. And PK, that was a bizarro ending. You don't see double dribbles and two missed free throws and all in the last five seconds. Yeah, Rocco choked. Rocco, I didn't get that for a second. Robert Covington, 0 for 2, five seconds left. Yeah. Just remind me of Majerus. You know, your butt gets tight in those situations. (laughs) That was always his phrase. And Rocco's butt, you could see it tense up. That was a gag, big time gag. And the, the double dribble was obvious. I mean, he looked like a running back there <laughs> taking a handoff, didn't he? He did. <laughs> so, there's really, I mean, Lillard didn't know what to call. He first called travel, and then he realized, no, it's not travel, it's double dribble. So, you do the motion with your hands because he was ahead of Booker. And so, that was an unusual play. And then, yeah, I mean, I just don't know about the foul, little letter of the law stuff. Uh, the older I get, the less letter of the law I am. 
And, you know, I watched it, and they replayed it, obviously, and they reviewed it, and they went to Secaucus. And you know, I've been to Secaucus, and it ain't no dreamland, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so is Secaucus like uh, industrial warehouses? Yeah, is Secaucus? Yeah. Oh, it is. It is. All that stuff right across the... Like it's up, it's by the Meadowlands that you know it's kind of swamplandish. There's a lot. Of, Jersey's called the Garden State, be uh, for very good reason. I mean, you get out a little bit and it's lush and green and blah 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 where I grew up. Uh, but uh, it's a little bit of an industrial area. If you ever watch the beginning of The Sopranos, they show it a lot when Tony's driving down the turnpike. But uh, yeah, so I, I, you know, with the game on the line, because Booker's a really good player and a really good free throw shooter, so you know he's going to make them. Uh, it's had a little bit of a problem with that, but it's a fun game to watch. And I don't think, you know, Jazz, if you if you can't win two games against non-playoff teams, do you deserve the number one seed? Uh, an excellent point. The obvious answer is no. And, and honestly, even this one against Oklahoma City. I mean, Sacramento has showed a pulse, but Oklahoma City, you're 2-25 and in 27 games? Yeah, and you're playing without their backcourt's out. Uh, Lou Dort, who yeah. torched the Jazz. Yep, is had his 42, the, and he's not playing. Yeah, and uh, Alexander's been out for a while, so yeah. I, mean, I couldn't even name you their roster. I'd have to go look. It's G League City. The only guy I can name you on that team is not playing, Al Horford. <laughs> They've sat him down, so uh, it's the way I look at it. I, I mean, I was rooting for the Blazers for the Jazz perspective, but uh, yeah, I give the Blazers credit. They battled, but Rocco. I mean, they could have still lost that game because they could have come down and hit a uh, hit a three and gone three. to overtime, yeah, even if he so. made both. So it's not – you can't really say he did this, he did that, whatever it might be. Well, for the Suns, who'd lost back-to-back games in three out of four, that was that was a big win to get out of there with a victory. It really was for them. Three yeah, in a row and without, four out of five would have been awful. Playing without DeAndre Ayton, uh, they had Sarge and Kaminsky trying to man that spot a little bit. Uh, so, uh, you know, he's better than both of those guys for sure. So it was a nice win for them, and they, they need some momentum going into the postseason. And I think that, uh, you know, if you're the Jazz and you get the number one seed, you don't want Phoenix going in with no momentum because they very well could be playing the Lakers. <laughs> and you want somebody to knock out the Lakers. Yeah, exactly. All right, the uh, other NBA news here. Uh, there were uh, a few other games involving Western contenders. Denver got the win over Minnesota, uh, 114 103. The Clippers beat Charlotte 113 to 90. A lot of balance scoring for the Clippers in that one. So the the rest of the Western contenders was pretty much what you'd expect. Memphis beat Sacramento. Memphis and Golden State look like they're going to have a game this weekend. It's going to decide who's who's eight and gets to be in that seven eight game and just needs one win and two chances to make the playoffs. And who's nine? Yeah, you got a home game. You got to win twice just to be the eighth seed. So a little something at stake there in that game. Uh, and then also Alex Rodriguez the uh, the negotiating window, the exclusive negotiating window, had run out. And it looked like, well, maybe that sale's not going to happen. But A-Rod's group has now bought the Wolves for $1.5 billion. So A-Rod is in in Minnesota. Yeah, I bet you next season then uh, we're going to see the Minnesota Timberwolves players be a lot bigger and stronger. All right, uh, DJ whoa, and PK. Whoa, 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 whoa. Didn't, didn't you get that? No, because he was talking to me, I couldn't hear you. He literally cut you out to tell me something. They'll be bigger and stronger. Oh, nice. Nice. <laughs> Thank you. A little roid humor. 
That's good. Good work there, PK. All right, DJ and PK. Hashtag RSL. Rail Salt Lake back in action at home. Third straight home game. They'll be playing Nashville. Nashville expansion team, second year, made the playoffs last year. Got a rep for defending. They've added a few attackers. And PK, they've had a lot of ties. They've had a lot of draws. They've not been off to a great... I know you're, you, you start flinching already, don't you? They've not been off to a great start here. And the problem I have with ties, and maybe it's too early to go in that direction, but if you play for a tie, something's wrong. Unless it's like you, you get a punt on your two-yard line. <laughs> you got to go for it. Go for it and finish. I mean, there's it's understandable, but yeah, I, I, I got you. But, you know, Nashville's a hot place to be, so maybe maybe guys around the world will flood to Nashville. Because I think Tennessee is, they had that thing where it said Utah was the fastest growing, and I think Tennessee was number two. Tennessee has been booming. And it wasn't, you know, when, when we were kids, they didn't have anything. And they got the NHL, they got the NFL. Uh, but it's a great example of why the SEC is so good. There was no pro sports for a long time, and so their college teams got all the passion, all the money. And so now they got Major League Soccer and the, N- and the NHL and the NFL, and they've been mentioned, you know, if the A's have to move, Nashville's name is usually the, the second or third city out of people's mouths. So, yeah, that area's taken off. Nashville's played four times, won once, split the points on the other three occasions. So we'll see how it, uh, how it shakes out. For RSL, they've had uh, four guys injured from the opening day lineup uh, to game three. They had four guys out with injury. One of them is kind of longer term. Everton, I don't think, is expected back until after the international break in June. But the other three guys are all uh, definitely maybe. And, PK, if you think Kyle Whittingham, Whittingham likes to play cat and mouse with who his quarterback is, Man, he's nothing compared to soccer coaches. They don't want to tell you a thing. And it's all kind of hamstring, quad, soft tissue stuff, kind of what Mike Conley's been going through. So we'll see when they run out there. Actually, a half an hour before the game. We'll find out uh, who's playing and who's not for sure. But uh, some of them might be back for that one. So well, good luck to you guys. Thank you very much, PK. Saturday night, 730. DJ and PK. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. We just did what is trending. We hit a lot of things, but we did not hit a story that we're now going to spend a little bit of time on. The Pac-12 has a new commissioner, PK. Do they hire someone who's been a commissioner in a smaller league? Nope. Do they hire someone who's been an athletic director and has run big-time football programs? Nope. Do they hire an entertainment guy? From MGM, George Klavikov. Klavikov is your new Pac-12 commissioner. And PK, you can now take your quote that you have used for many coach hirings, adapt it to commissioner hiring, and proceed. Uh, if you want to, but I mean, if you don't want to do that, that's your your call too. That's just me. I mean, if others think that this is good, this is bad, or whatever it might be, that's up to them. Uh, that my line of thinking is to you've made the decision, they've made the decision because it's not one person making this decision. But once the decision is made, 
you have to allow that person, man or woman, whatever the position might be, to have time to succeed or fail. And it doesn't seem like Larry Scott uh, did very well and all that stuff there. So uh, we know how that ended. And now it's up to George. I still can't say his last name uh, to uh, succeed or fail. And I listened to the whole thing. You know, I got online at at noon our time to make sure that I was uh, hearing what he said. So it went, uh, what did it went a little bit over a half hour, I think. And the questions that he took and the answers that he gave, I think he ended on a strong, very yeah. strong point. That that point got a lot of reaction. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of people echoed what you just said, like, well, that was refreshing to hear. Yeah, because there was a gal at the end, I don't know who she was, but she obviously had interest because she was associated with women's basketball. And he had said earlier, because he had some WNBA background, I think, in Vegas, and he said, well, you know, if you watch the sport, you'll fall in love with it. And it was the second time he had mentioned it, and I get it. But let's be honest, uh, whatever you think of women's sports, if you come out and say, I hate women's basketball, they're no good, you're just, you're just going to be roasted. And I'm not saying I'm saying that because if it's on, I've covered women's basketball a hundred times over the years. I've covered it at the high school level, I've covered it at the college level, and I've covered it at the pro level. And I'm fine with it. It's not the greatest sport in the world, but whatever. If I don't like it, turn the channel. So I'm not making any political stuff. But also, don't force feed it because he did say, to, he did say you know, it, it's an up-and-coming, growing sport. And I thought to myself, wait a second, I thought soccer was that. People, if they have to try to sell you on some sport, that tells you right off the bat the sport isn't where it wants to be because they're trying to sell you it. The sport speaks for itself. And I thought, oh, all right, I know he's got to be politically correct. And then he went back to it again, and then the third time uh, the lady asked him a question, she obviously had an agenda to promote women's sports, and he went on and on about, not on and on, but he did elaborate on it. And then he ended by saying, and I'm paraphrasing here, but make no mistake, our main concentration is going to be on our two highest revenue sports, and that's football and men's basketball. And that's what most folks wanted to hear because the Pac-12 – Every time you talk, and Ray Anderson down at ASU does this all the time, when he talks about the Pac-12 falling behind, yeah, you know, we're really good in lacrosse and fencing and field hockey, and that's all great for the men and women who participate in that, but the general public doesn't give a crap about that. Let's be honest. It's about those two sports. And so having him say this is refreshing because I'm tired of hearing about the other sports. We get that's why you're the conference of champions because of these other sports. Because you'll just you roll out the titles left and right on that. We understand all that, but what about these two sports? Now, with that in mind, I just don't know what a commissioner can do about it. His exact quote was, "We know where our bread is buttered. We're focused on the revenue sports and winning in football and men's basketball." And if you look at the model the SEC has taken, and everybody's different, there's more just a, more population in that part of the country, less history of pro sports. More, we know all that stuff. But they invested in football and won. They've started rolling that money into men's basketball, and they're starting to win a lot more in the last decade than they did in the decade before that. They've rolled that money into baseball, and they've gotten really good in baseball over the last 20 to 25, maybe 30 years, probably 20, though, I think. And they've rolled that money into other sports, softball and uh, women's gymnastics, to start winning there and, and win big. 
So if you're going to have more money and grow the whole budget, you're getting it out of football. That's where it is. And any of the Olympic sports, if you get into them, you can fall in love with them, and people do. But if you're going to drive an athletic department, you're going to drive it with the money you make off of football, and the SEC is example number one. So he can talk about all the Olympic sports and say all the nice things, and they've got to get football right. <laughs> they have got to get football right. But I, I don't know that a commissioner can do that. So I, uh, Chris Hill didn't want to come on the show and, and be front and center. Uh, he was already aware of what was going on. Um, he, <laughs> he wasn't that locked into it when I got him. He was literally with his, <laughs> with his grandkid ordering some food at a drive-thru. So he's not living and dying it. But, you know, and this goes back to, uh, you know, 10, 20 years ago, you're a beat writer at the Salt Lake Tribune. He always used to say, um, I'm not worried about winning the press conference. You know, get the right person. If people react poorly on day one, I'd rather, you know, you'd rather win the press conference. But if people react poorly on day one, it's the winning and losing that's going to matter. And his thing, his point, he kept coming back to this over and over, is he says, if he works from the ground up, if he listens to the ADs and the coaches, finds out what their problems are, tries to look for solutions, build consensus and all that, bet, bet best practices so everybody in the league is doing whatever the cutting-edge thing is doing it the best they can, long-term he's going to have success. If he's top-down, if he sits in his office and tries to dream up solutions to problems that may or may not exist, really sounded like he was referencing Larry Scott at that point, he's going to fail. That's what it comes down to. And uh, he wasn't that hung up on the guy's whole background and what he had done. And I know some people wanted someone who'd been a commissioner, someone who'd been an AD at a power, you know, football school and all that. But he really thought that largely the ADs know what's going on in their campus. They know what their issues are, and they know what's working for them. And if it's working for one school, try to get it to work for all 12. Because you're right to think that he's going to sit in the conference office, whether it's in San Francisco or wherever, and conjure up the answers and then make everything okay on the 12 campuses. It doesn't work like that. No, it don't. <laughs> uh, I, I, what, what can he do? I mean, that's a theory, go ahead and listen and blah, blah. But what can he actually do? I mean, you can listen, but if I don't do anything after listening, what difference does no, it make? It's true. So what can he do? Now, he can do it with television and all that stuff and get them more money. And that, that's very important. And that he has a strong background there, uh, negotiations and all that. And, and some people are better at uh, just The PR being, cheerleading aspect, being well, the face they're, they're, of? They're good people, pers- people, persons, I guess, in the manner of they just know – how to react and how to how to interact maybe is the better word and it's some type type of inherent skill mm-hmm. uh, you know I can name names of and I don't want to do it because embarrass people but guys that we've worked with worked for whatever and some when you walk in a room you're you just don't feel good <laughs> and you certainly don't feel good when you leave the room yeah. and others when you walk in the room you, you feel good. a lot better about yeah. it and when you walk out of the room you feel a lot better about it even if they're doing the exact same thing and trying to take something that's yours <laughs> you feel better somehow so some some people are better 
than others. It only makes sense that this is the case, that some people are better at interacting with people than uh, and we're all not the same. Now, I don't know this man from Adam, so I have no idea, but uh, talking to people and listening to him speak and all that stuff, you know, maybe he's the guy. I, mean, I don't have any problem going outside the box uh, on that. You know, I was listening to some people yesterday on the radio and down in Arizona and all that stuff, and you're talking about, well, Herm Edwards wasn't outside the box. I mean, he was roasted, man. He didn't even know the team's nickname. Blah, 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 blah. Well, he's like a big-time people person, right? I mean, he can he can have an hour conversation with the dead man, and the dead man's going to come to life practically. Now, I, it's funny because I've, I've said that Perm got roasted so bad because he acted like he didn't know the nickname, and now he's getting praised so much, and against Division One competition, he's 15 and 13. <laughs> so it's like we've gone completely the other way. The guy hasn't won anything. Uh, but yet, oh, this is a great hire. Blah, blah, blah. I guess if you compare him to Kevin Sumlin, it's a great hire. But a dead man compared to Kevin Sumlin's a great hire. <laughs> so uh, it's funny on how that goes. So I don't necessarily have a problem with outside-the-box thinking. Uh, take a chance. I mean, you're in a conference that's re- regarded as the fifth of the five, and you need to move up. I just, I just don't know what he can do to literally help the programs how can he get – what can he do to keep this enormous talent that is in Arizona that just can't get out of there fast enough? If they could commit and sign letters of intent to go to schools outside the state, as freshmen in high school, they would. I mean, it's an epidemic. What can this man do? Now, maybe he can keep him in the conference so or help keep him in the conference, which is – you know, for me it sucks, but for the conference it's great. And if you're a fan of the – you know, the two schools that play in the Pac-12 in the state of Arizona, that would, that doesn't do a whole lot. But for the conference, at least it does. So maybe you can do along those lines. So he's, he's got a big task ahead of him. And I'm, I'm just I'm real interested to see what he can actually do at the ground level. You know, there's a, a few things. Uh, one thing Larry Scott's been criticized for, the last TV deal was great when they signed it. He signed for 12 years, and we've seen conferences go to shorter deals. You know, signed for six or eight years. And the Pac-12, you know, they're never going to make as much money, but if they'd had a six or eight-year deal, they could have renegotiated, gotten yeah. a bigger bigger deal. They wouldn't be as far behind now. And the schools that have a few more million per school. So right. those kind of decisions are important. I thought when I read his resume, the thing that jumped out at me, uh, and he's done a lot of different stuff, you know, working at MGM Resorts International, he's worked with a conference because they've, Hosted Pac-12 men's oh, and women's yeah. basketball yeah, yeah. tournaments and the Pac-12 football games going down there. And you mentioned the WNBA. Um, he was uh, he helped manage the Las Vegas uh, Aces when they were mm-hmm. there. Um, but one thing he's done is uh, he was sat on the board of Bet MGM, which is one of the three largest U.S. sports betting companies. And you can read these stories out there that this there's this new revolution coming coming. In gambling, we're used to, you know, seeing lines, talking about a point spread for a football game on a Wednesday, right? And then people bet and, you know, win or lose on Saturday or Sunday. But it's supposed to get revolutionized where there's all kinds of basically what are Super Bowl prop bets that are in progress as the game goes. So at halftime, you're going to be able to bet on your phone, sitting on your couch at home, 
on who's going to, you know, win the second half, how many points are going to be scored in the second half. You may even end up being able to bet on whether a team scores on a specific drive or whether the next play is a run or pass. And people think that this is where there's the next revenue stream, which should slash could or should be massive. Now, there was a time when when this was all about selling tickets, right? And then radio and TV income became a big deal. There was a time when merchandising was nothing, and now merchandising is a huge revenue stream. So I don't know where this is going or how fast, but there are people inside the industry, and I've seen this written, and you probably have too, you know, tons of times. And so I wonder if he's going to help put them on the cutting edge of that. And I think that when it comes to best practices, how do you maximize this uh, name, image, and likeness thing that's coming? Because you've said it a million times, PK, it's all about the money. And everybody recruits one specific way, right? Hey, come here and we'll help you win. And then, hey, come here and we'll get you to the NFL. That's the big selling point for Alabama. Yeah, you're going to win, but we're going to put you in the NFL. You're going to make a ton of money, and you and your family are going to be incredibly wealthy. You're going to be rich. And we had uh, Lincoln Kennedy on, and one of, uh, he had a kid who uh, played at SC and was recruited by BAM, and he had a media guide. He said, when you open the media guide, on the inside of the media guide were copies of canceled checks from NFL teams to ex-Alabama players who'd hit it big in the NFL. I mean, the message was obvious. Well, name, image, and likeness is going to be that and helping these schools maximize it as soon as possible. Hey, if you go to this school, you're going to make 50 grand. But if you go to this school, you're going to make 100 grand. We talk about all these star quarterbacks who are leaving the Pac-12 footprint, especially your home, home state of Arizona. Man, figuring that out right away might keep some of those kids around. So I think those are the areas he's going to be able to help. But we'll see. Uh, th- that that's the, the, the th- you think they're going exactly to right, and I think everybody thinks well if USC just gets their football program together and goes undefeated, they'll be in the playoff, and he'll look like a genius, and that's the part that he can't really control that Larry Scott couldn't control that Big Ten and SEC commissioners benefit from but don't actually control. Alabama got a higher right a long time ago, and the whole SEC has ridden Nick Saban's wave. You know, Michael Jordan left the NBA three different times. And the first time, it was a massive story. And uh, Wes Ruff, who's been in Channel 4 for a long time, told me that um, the first time Jordan left, he, he was out, uh, I think he was, I think it was a jazz golf tournament going on. And somehow they got a camera to him, and he had to, like, move a few holes or whatever. But he got to... Um, he got to Frank Layden, and this is pre-cell phones and the Internet, and so what people knew and how much they knew, totally different, right? And he said, Frank just looked at him, and he said, he made us all a lot of money. And that's the impact Nick Saban's had on the SEC, and the Pac-12 needs their Nick Saban. That's what they need. Because if one school, Oregon or USC most likely, just goes off on a run that's even half or a quarter of what Alabama has done over the last decade. It's going to make everybody in the Pac-12 a lot better. Everybody's going to benefit from it. And you're right. I don't see how he can control that. So Vanderbilt has benefited from Nick Saban? Yes. How so? Because the SEC has made a lot of money and signed massive contracts. 
but they stink every got, year. They've gotten a share, and of they that. change coaches all the time. Yeah. So what does the what does the Vanderbilt fan care? About the that? Vanderbilt's gotten money out of that to run a baseball program and won an NCAA title. Yeah, I mean you don't know that that you drew a direct line that you don't know exists. I mean, I knew you were going to do that. You drew a you direct. Well, why'd line. you set me up so well then? <laughs> if you hate it, why did you make it so easy for me? I mean, you pick Vanderbilt, you're like, oh, he knows they won. If you pick South Carolina, I would have been hard pressed. Well, wait, did they win a women's basketball title? I might have been able to go to that. But nobody cares about that. And then, then the Vanderbilt, it's all about football, men's basketball. If you're not good in those sports, you're viewed as your athletic department is viewed as a failure. It's just the way it is. And Vanderbilt's had a great baseball program for a long time. I mean, just look at the Dodgers. David Price and Walker Bueller. Two guys right off the top of my head. Uh, and most people don't realize where kids come from uh, college. And, yeah, there isn't the link the way there is in the NBA and the NFL. Right. Because, right. because baseball isn't as big a deal and there aren't as many people watching it. Okay, and so I go Walker Bueller and David Price, two guys who played for Vanderbilt. Now, conversely, I can go UC Los Angeles, Garrett Cole and Trevor Bauer, and their football program sucks, and they won a national title in baseball. So I don't know that you can draw these lines because how did that happen? Because Larry Scott sucks. And their football program in Westwood's been awful. They've changed coaches. I have to have a program, but yet they won a baseball title. I mean, and they got those Brandon Crawford, shortstop for the Giants, and who has been the starting shortstop for seem like 15 years now. He went there, uh, and I think Buster Posey might have even gone to Vanderbilt. I'd have to double check that. Uh, but uh, I don't know that you can draw that line. That's what I'm talking about. How does this guy help the individual programs? He can get you more money, but somebody's got to lose. And so what is it? I mean, go back to Majerus, too. They used to ask him about pride in the whack. And he would try to diplomatically say, I couldn't give a fine, you know what, about them. I could totally hear him going off on that. Pride in the whack. Uh, Wyoming, New Mexico. They boo me and call me horrible names. I don't really care. <laughs> yeah. He was concerned about his program. And his program was awesome. <laughs> right? In the 90s. And he'd go down to Vegas and win that thing more, way more often than he lost it. And they'd ask him about it. And he, just, he didn't want to just be totally rude. Uh, but at the same time, he's like, oh, what do I care? So it's an interesting dynamic. about. And I remember Chris Hill talking to me about this how it is an interesting dynamic that you're competing each other and you're at each other's throats, but you're supposed to be a family. Right. (laughs) Which is why he got so red-faced if a kid wanted to transfer from Utah to BYU or vice versa. He just thought that that should be completely unacceptable because he just didn't like it, man. So I want to give this guy, George Clavicle, or every his last name, give him the benefit of the doubt. I hope he succeeds. It's my conference, man. I've been in this conference longer than any of you. I'm a grad. I'm the only grad in the, on our station from this conference, unless I'm missing somebody. So you put all you guys together, and I think I still have more of an investment in this conference than any of you. Uh, so I want it to succeed. 
I just don't know what this guy can do. He can do all this other stuff, though, with this betting, and he talked about it, and uh, television and exposure, and I think they're when their lease is up, I think they're getting out of the Bay Area there in the most expensive real estate. So, I mean, that was a disaster. Image was nice, and Larry Scott was huge on image, but the results weren't there. I just wonder, if Larry Scott had been there earlier when Pete Carroll was running around doing his thing yeah. and Reggie Bush and all those guys, would he be a success? He would have alienated a lot of people, but the conference brand did not would did not take the beating in that era because the big dog was winning big. In well, football. that was one of the finest eras, and SC's had a lot of fine eras, yeah. and that was as fine as any of them, and it was probably even better because it's harder to do now, and they did it. I mean, and you know the way they had, and then the timing was right too. Pete Carroll was as charismatic as can be. They didn't have pro football there. If you wanted to be involved. And he would let all the celebrities in on the sidelines and Will Ferrell and Snoop and on and on and on. You know, you'd see them and and then the alumni and they, you know, they've got a slew of alumni, obviously, and Heisman's and all that stuff. So the, the timing, the proverbial perfect storm was right there. Uh, can it be recreated? Boy, I don't know. I don't. I just don't know because now you got the Rams and the Chargers. If the Chargers win, they can be mocked for moving north a couple hours. But if they win, people are going to flock. It's just the way it is. If Justin Herbert turns out to be uh, Dan Fouts part two, and uh, you know they got a really good offense and winning ball games and all that, they're going to be the talk of the town. That's just the way it is. If you win, whatever people love you. So the point being, it's going to be harder to attract all that attention that they used to attract. I mean, SC was it. They were right there with the Lakers and Dodgers. Uh, so I'm and not the sure Rams have already happen. come back and gone yeah. to a Super Bowl. Yeah, they've already sure got one. Happen. And the yeah. stadium is now open, and they're going, you know, going to start having fans in there. I would assume here soon, and all that stuff. So uh, I hope he can do it, man. I hope. I hope he can. Uh, he can get on top. Yeah, it goes right? back to it goes back to that uh, cooperation competition thing, and people love to mash those words up, you know, cooperation or cooperation or whatever they do with that. I mean, you're you're a sun devil. Do you really want to see ASU get beaten ten years in a row and see USC win the division eight times in ten years and five conference titles and two national titles? It, it'll be good for the conference brand, and it it might give them some leverage. Uh, in a round of TV negotiations, better time slots, more money and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, that's where you're a little Rick Majerus because if at the end of the day it just means, oh, boy, here comes USC. And, you know, it may not be 70 to 7 like you took out uh, the Wildcats, but if it's a steady, you know, 38 to 14, that's not going to be any fun. No, it's not. But at the same time, if it helps the conference, then it's up to you and your individual program to get it going. And if you can't get it going – it, that's on you. Now, for me, with the football, I mean, I, I take a different aspect, a different uh, viewpoint. You know, to me, if the Devils are going 9-3, and yeah, that's a pretty good season. I mean, I have perspective. It's not uh, all the way or bust because they've never, you know, a couple times here and there they've sniffed it. But it's not likely. It's a why. Why would people flood to Tempe, Arizona to play football? It's just, there's no reason to. 
the, the weather. The weather is actually a detriment. And people who tell you about the weather are not the ones who live there. <laughs> <laughs> it's all the people who outside of there. It's too friggin' hot, and they want out. And that's why and I'll go to my grave. And you, you ask uh, people who don't, aren't there and haven't been there for years, they just don't understand it. And they want out. Really different. You gotta you gotta pitch really different for a college football player and an NBA player. The worst month, the NBA players maybe they're there a little bit if there's a good playoff run, right? They'll be there in June and July this year, and it'll be really hot. Uh, yeah. If you're there in November, December, January, February, winner, winner. And I'm part of the NBA season. There. Yeah, but if you're a college football guy and you got to go through two days in August. No, that's that's a big old L right there. And those September home games look brutal. Even at yeah. night, it is so hot for some of those games. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's it's a it's a detriment. It's not a selling point. Uh, but they're going to have to overcome it, and everyone's going to have to overcome it. And everyone out in these conferences has their pluses and minuses. And I, I think that what he can do is immediately perception being reality is just go after that and start making decisions that aren't viewed as ridiculous. Uh, That would be good. At least the mocking. At least dial back the mocking. Right. Right. But he's going to be under the microscope because they had become, you can say within the realm of truth, a laughing stock. Yeah. Yep. And so correct all those things that are easily correctable. And, you know, when the window begins on the television, find ways to get yourself out there better. Uh, so that that's his charge. I just I don't know if he can keep the next great quarterback from uh, Bosco down there in Bellflower from going to Clemson. I, I just don't know that he has the ability to do that. And can he keep them at uh, SC or even uh, over there in Westwood or wherever it might be? Can he keep them within the conference? That, that's, that's, that seems to me that that's up to the individual coaches and their programs as far as that goes. And that remains to be seen. Or can you get those guys can go get somebody from Texas who's all that. Can you get them onto yours? You know, maybe you can do. Maybe they can do that. Because in the in the end, if you don't get uh, player X who's down the street and goes outside the conference, but you get player Y who's just as good as be- or better, yeah. nobody cares. They lost Ben Olsen when you got Max Hall. He ends up yeah. being the winningest quarterback BYU had. So the loss of Ben Olsen didn't hurt as much as you thought it was going to be because you got uh, Max to come in and, and play real well for you for three years. And that was great. That was great news. So you got you got to find ways. And the world is smaller than ever now in recruiting. So why not cast a larger net and and see what you can do? And these next uh, these next five to ten years are going to be really really interesting in college athletics. And I'm sure that that sort of sounds like a little bit of. Uh, every presidential election. This will decide the fate of our country. We cannot sit on the sidelines. This is the most crucial. And then four years later, they just say the same thing. 
<laughs> well, only for like the last 10 elections that I've been paying attention to. Yeah. But Especially if your candidate isn't the incumbent. Yeah, if your candidate's out, if your party's out of office. Yeah. It's critical. Yeah, yeah. It's the, you know, the most important thing ever. The history of man is determined upon... And then, what, and then the parties, we put in there. and then the parties just keep splitting the wins right down the middle. Yeah, yeah, a couple yeah. of five hundred records if you count back. Or if you're in there, you know, we got it going. Let's let's continue this train. Blah 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 blah. And this is this way. I I just can't get into that stuff. It's all a bunch of whatever to me. And for others, and I mean, I probably I have the wrong attitude. I understand that. So for me to say these next next five to ten years in college football are the most but crucial, I, 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 I can't sound say, like that. I can't say the most crucial ever. I just think that there is a good chance that major change is coming. Is the 14 playoff going to 6 or 8 or 12 or 16? We've already heard that, and we know that that deal has got like four or five years. We're four or five years away from that happening. He's going to have a seat at the table as everyone talks about what is to be done. And I only have one vote, and how loud will his voice be and how much will his arguments carry the day, and he's, then he's going to cut a new TV deal. And, I think, and we talked about this in the 9 o'clock hour. I really think if you're cutting a deal for two or three games a week with ESPN – you got to get them to put one of them in either a 1.30 or 5 p.m. window. 6 o'clock on ABC is good enough. That's, that's what important. they do. And, it, you yes. know, it's like, listen, I know you're going to take a game and put it on at 8.30 at night. But for your sake and for our sake, you can't be burying these top 10 or top 15 teams at 8.30 at night. You know, whoever is out there and is 5-3, no, no, no. okay, Cal or Utah or, you know, I don't know, maybe Colorado's going to get it going a little bit. ASU, if you're 5-3 and three and you're playing somebody who's 4-4, four and four, you're going to get an 8-30 game. You're going to play in the last TV window. It's Pac-12 after dark, and that's because of geography. That's this conference's deal. But the marquee team, whoever is 6-0 and oh or 8-1, and one, their game needs to be on ABC at 6 or ESPN or ESPN 2 at 5 where the whole country can watch it. You can't have recruits sitting down to watch college football and not seeing Pac-12 teams all day. That's bad for all 12 teams. And Fox put that Utah-Washington game up in Seattle. I think you went to it a couple of years ago. They put that thing on at 2 o'clock in the mm-hmm. afternoon. Well, the whole country could see it. And then if you watch another game, they're constantly rolling highlights from earlier in the day, and you're seeing Johnson's big interception, interception the Utes comeback win. It puts teams and conference on the radar if, they got, if they're going to win their division and go to the conference title game. They can't be this anonymous team that plays late at night and nobody's seen them all year. There's not going to be any buy-in when you get to the conference championship game. Nobody knows the storyline. So right. give, them some of the, give them some of those late time slots. You have to do that. Those aren't going away, but there need to be some early time slots for the conference to play in. That's the kind of stuff he'll have control over that can help all 12 coaches because now you've got a shot at visibility when you're good. And your kids can, your your recruits, you know, can see it. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5, 12 the zone. We're brought to you in part by Davis Vision. The Davis Vision spring LASIK sale is going on now. Get rid of those contacts and glasses and save $1,000. Start your road to better vision to Davis Vision. Check them out at davisvisionmd.com or call them today at 801-253-3080. That's Davis Vision.
DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Question of the morning, part two. Mike Conley has been upgraded to questionable for the OKC game. Don't you think this has got to be good news? I do. Well, he's got to come back at some point, and I guess questionable. He's probably not, you know, never skip steps, PK. And there's probably going to be a point where uh, every player is coming back. The Jazz are going to list him as questionable. I suppose there are people saying, well, that's definitely maybe if he goes out there and re-injures it, it's not good news. But that's another step and not the one we're considering right now. And I'm sure a lot of people will be sweating that. But right now, if he's listed as out forever, that doesn't do you any good. No, I'm not worried about re-injuring it again. You can't live in fear. Then stay in bed all day if you're going to live in fear. Uh, I, this team needs to win its next two games. I wonder if they had already clinched. Uh, maybe they don't play him. I don't know the answer to that question. I know if he goes through shoot-around this morning, he's supposed to be available to the media when they're done. Uh, and shoot-around starts uh, 9.30 our time. Uh, so I don't think it'll be on. Uh, we'll get it on the air. Maybe uh, Scotty and Hans can get Conley live on the air. Uh I think it starts. I think that's what I read. 9.30 our time, 10.30 in OKC, obviously where they are this morning. And so see what he has to say. Uh, you, you need him. So questionable to me is a major improvement because if he's questionable today and today's the 14th and the playoffs aren't going to start till the 22nd or 23rd, that should mean uh, probable. And normally they don't put that uh, beyond – and they, when they put an injury report out, they don't list guys who are healthy. You know, it's assumed that Joe Ingles is going to play, play, so his name isn't on the injury report. Yeah, there's an out, but there's no in, right? Right. <laughs> don't waste time with that. Right. So my line of thinking is that he gets himself available most definitely by a week from tomorrow or Sunday, which is obviously what matters the most. So I view this as a complete and total positive sign and questionable even if he doesn't play or maybe he just plays a few minutes whatever it might be uh i think that's that's a positive because we've been hearing now for nine games right out 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 and they put it in uppercase and it just jumps out at you (laughs) (laughs) it's like they're yelling at you he's out dial back your hopes i know and just they put it out every day sometimes twice a day because they give updates and all that other people are added to it. The guys who were previously on it are still on it. So you keep looking at that thing, and you keep seeing it. Like, oh, my gosh, man, when is this going to change? And it did change yesterday. It said questionable. And I thought that that was great news. They need him. They need this man to be as good as he can be, as healthy as he can be, because he's a solid addition to your lineup. This is not breaking news here. It's obvious. I would love to see him get out there and play a little bit. I would think they wouldn't need him tonight because the Thunder are really, really watered down. I'm not sure I've seen a team watered down like this. But this is what we knew they were going to be with all these draft choices. And, you know, if they use these draft choices wise, their time will come in three to four years, whatever it might be. It's just not right now. And conversely, the Jazz's time is right now. It doesn't mean it can't be right now again next year, but we're right now, right now. (laughs) And so – this is their opportunity. Get these guys healthy, these two players, and then see what they can do. I don't know that they can win it all, but I don't know that they can't win it all. And that, that's the exciting part. There's a lot of mystery to be unfolded. 
I do know they can't win it all if they don't have Mitchell and Conley. I'm very well confident in saying that. So get these dudes out there and get them healthy and let's go and see what happens. Oklahoma City has lost 25 of the last 27 games. Uh, I, I would dare our listeners, you would have to be the hardest of hardcore to name even one or two of their starters. It's, it's a G League roster they're running out here. And they do have to use those draft choices widely, and that means uh, trading them wisely because well, there's no way you can put all those, all those draft picks on a roster. Uh, they're going to have more draft picks than roster spots. So it'll, it'll be interesting, but right now <clears throat> it ought to be a gimme W. That's what it ought to be. It ought to be a win tonight, and then the magic number goes down to one, and maybe they clinch the top spot Saturday. The Suns are playing the Spurs. I don't think the Spurs have much to play for now. I think they're going to be the 10 seed. Yeah, they're, they're locked, locked in. in. Yeah. So I don't know that there's going to be any, any help there. I wouldn't count on it. My yeah. mindset would be absolutely not. Right. So when you go out on the – they'll probably – the Suns will probably beat the Spurs Saturday night, and then they'll assign game time Sunday, and I don't know if they'll play at the same time or earlier or later or how that will work. But you probably just have to go to well, Sacramento. Well, Jazz already win. got the time. It's 7 o'clock. Oh, it is 7? Okay, I hadn't seen yeah. that. 7 o'clock Sunday night, you have to just go out and win and beat the Kings, and then you'll be the one seed. And if you don't, you'll be the two because the Suns will probably take down the Spurs. Yeah, and you can lay it all out. I mean, you can uh, – I don't know if they're going to leave to go to Sacramento tonight or tomorrow, but you should have plenty of time to be rested, and it's not till the evening on Sat- Sunday, so you can have time to take four naps. Uh, so really no excuses now. It's all there. And I just wonder uh, – you know, Conley, even playing a few minutes can make a difference. You know, we went through it yesterday. They had three guys come off the bench in the last game who were combined two for 13 and played 40 minutes. Now, he's not going to play 40 minutes. He's not going to take all the playing time. But if he's on a minutes restriction and he's playing 15 or 20 minutes, well, that ought to be a big deal. Right. And plus, I just want him to get out, get out there and run around. Get back in the flow, scrape the rust off all those cliches. Yeah. And just have him feel good about himself to where uh, then at that point, you know, tomorrow, if you, if you say he plays 10 to 15 minutes, just hypothetically, that's what he goes out and does. And then tomorrow – you can reevaluate where he is and you know, feel fine. You can recreate it on Sunday. And then you know what to do during the week. Because this next week, I mean, nobody's going to Cancun, you know, and it's next week. <laughs> time to. One, two, uh, three, Cancun. Yeah. I mean, I talked yesterday with Joe how it was approaching the All Star break. Well, the All Star break is a, a chillaxification period. Uh, this isn't. This next week is an opportunity to all get right to where you need to be, uh, depending on who you're playing. And once you find out and all that stuff, but there's plenty of time to concentrate on yourselves until you find out. So next week's an important week. And depending on what Conley feels like and how he responded and how the hammy responded, well, then you know what to do, where the emphasis needs to be for next week. And Joe's talked about this training staff uh, I don't know that uh, he has any other experience with any other teams, but I'm sure he's talked to guys and all that stuff, and he believes that's top-notch. So aim towards making sure Conley, whatever level, if he's 80 95% now, get him 100%, and you have a whole week to do that, and, you know, determine all the practice to scheduling. So it's real important. These next two games, even beyond seeding, obviously seeding is the number one thing, is very important 
but then how to approach next week uh, with this uh, after he plays, if, if he does play. So uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to these next couple games, have them wrap up the number one after all this stuff here. You know, having your star player miss the final 17, 16, 17 games of the season. Not ideal. Not (laughs) ideal. Not good. Not good, Bob. Not good. Right. If he missed them in January and February, okay, well, that happens in this course of a season to virtually every team in a league, you know. And if you're fortunate enough where it doesn't happen, good for you. But it's not nearly as a big deal. And yet we're going in. We're, they're going to go into the playoff where their number one offensive player, a dynamic player, hasn't played for what? Well over a month. Ah, that's a little unsettling. Well, as much as I think tonight and uh, tonight ought to be a, a W and it ought to be a comfortable win, and Oklahoma City's lost twenty-five of their last twenty-seven. Sacramento, and I know you giggle, and I know the Jazz dropped hundred and fifty-four points on them, a franchise record. Right. And it was super easy that night. But that just makes me cringe because that's such an outlier. And the law of numbers, as Matt Harpering threw out earlier this season. I'm going to hold on to that forever. That was awesome. I think it was last year in the bubble. Was it the law of numbers that long ago? My yeah. time, my time frame's all messed up by this last 13 months. Because the law of numbers was a higher level of consciousness because the law of numbers was being destroyed by all the productivity. Ah, yeah. Proclivity. I combined two words in the (laughs) bubble. Okay. That makes sense that all the, all the numbers were, uh, they're askew. Yeah. Askew. Thank you. So Sacramento is nine and five in the last 14 games for a team that was 12 games under 500. And you know, that that's pretty impressive that they got that, that they've played that well down the stretch here. Now, in those five losses, one of them was that horrific night against the Jazz when they got blown off the floor. But they responded to that with a four-game win streak, and they've won six of eight since that game. Now, they're playing Memphis tonight, so there'll be one more. You know, it'll change the numbers before they play the Jazz on Sunday night. But that's a pretty good stretch of basketball. That's not a team you can just roll in and walk over. And we've seen the Jazz have enough problems and struggle with the Minnesotas of the world. I I don't see why Sacramento – can't provide as much well, opposition as Minnesota did. Sacramento is, they're on the clock in preseason games. Mm-hmm. They've got to show and prove. Everybody, every coach, everyone associated. Because this is a franchise now, this is their 15th season that we haven't made the playoff. Good grief. And that's the second longest record. I saw that last night because uh, uh, the San Antonio clinched the, the 10th spot there. And so... That's the second longest streak. So they, every time they go out, they have something to prove. Every time. Because they can't just, well, whatever. No, no, not Sacramento. When you've been this long, 15 years, in a league where it should be the easiest to make the postseason, and you haven't done it in 15 years, that's just atrocious. I mean, that's that's joke category. And so you have to prove something. If you, don't have, if you have any level of personal pride, you have to prove something combined with the fact that they it was the biggest jazz win. They blew you off the floor, all that stuff. So, yes, absolutely, I'm expecting a good effort from Sacramento. And plus, not, don't forget, they got Buddy Heald, man. You got Buddy Heald, you got a chance. Buddy. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Coming up, David Locke is going to join us. 
We will uh, talk with him. Stay with us. DJ and PK at 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.